Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, whether you think uh, 2022 was a good year, a bad year, or somewhere in between, I think we all hope that 23 will be a better year for everybody, for the Ukrainian people, uh, for people who are uh, desperately in need of immigration and finding new places to uh, live, for poor people all around the world, for um Americans for for everybody. Uh, we could use a we could use a better year. We could use a year of good health. <clears throat> I'm still suffering the aftermaths of COVID, uh, so I'll be drinking a little hot tea uh, while we talk today. This is my um, about 14th or 15th day uh, of COVID. I thought it was supposed to go away more quickly, but at age 84, these things tend to linger. So um, so here we are. Um, because I'm a liberal Democrat and I have contributed probably uh, tens of thousands of dollars over the years to the Democratic Party and to Democratic uh, candidates, um, once once in a blue moon I've contributed to Republicans, particularly my former students if they're running uh, as Republicans. I tend to uh, send a few dollars to any one of my former students who's running for public office. Um, in any event, because I'm on lists, I get a lot of mail from from Democratic extremists, and this morning I got one that I thought would be a, a good subject for today's discussion. Um, this was from a group that wanted me to contribute, uh, midnight deadline, last call to chip in, and pass the Judiciary Act. Now, that sounds like an innocent act, the Judiciary Act, um, but this is a group of Democrats who want to really um, pack the Supreme Court. Um, Here's the good news, this thing says. We can overrule Trump's conservative Supreme Court majority by passing the Judiciary Act to add four new justices. I guess they want to add them all now so that Biden gets to pick them all. There are some proposals um, for adding justices, but staggering the addition of the justices over a 10 or 20 year period. So, you know, the current president gets one and then maybe four years from now or six years from now, another one, et cetera, et cetera. But this one wants now, four justices now, to overrule the current Supreme Court majority. And so you'd get the seven to uh, seven to uh, six um, majority for, for conservatives. And it says, and top Democrats like Elizabeth Warren are ready to make it happen. And so we're seeing all kinds of efforts. President Biden appointed a commission, very loaded commission, but a commission to think about uh, alternatives to the current Supreme Court as if it was broken. It's not broken, so I don't know why you have to fix it. But the alternatives included um, um, maximum terms, say 25 years. Not a bad idea. If I were writing a new constitution, I'd probably impose uh, 20 year terms. After all, at the time, that the Constitution was enacted, the average life expectancy was in the 50s. And so if you appointed somebody at age 40, very few were appointed younger than that, they would be expected to serve 15 or, or so years. You know, we, we tend to forget that life expectancies were so low because our founding fathers, with the exception of George Washington, lived long lives, you know, Jefferson into his 80s, Adams into his 80s, um, Several of the others um, uh, lived long lives, Ben Franklin, etc. Um, but the average age uh, of life expectancy was is in the 50s. In fact, I think in the low 50s. 
So um, the framers did not anticipate uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg serving uh, for, I don't remember what it is, 35 years or some of the other justices who served um, 35 years. I think William O. Douglas was appointed when he was like 38 and died in his 80s. Um, so I, you know, if I were rewriting the Constitution, I'm not in favor of amending it. But if I were rewriting it, if I were writing it in the first place, probably would have put some term limits. I wouldn't put age restrictions, because if you put age restrictions, then you encourage presidents to appoint fetuses to the Supreme Court, you know, the younger, the better. If you can appoint somebody who's in their 20s or 30s, uh, and they can serve until they're 70, then they can serve, you know, 40 years. So I think that uh, maximum age um, uh, requirements make no sense at all. But uh, some kind of term restrictions probably do make some sense. Um, but that's not what these um, uh, uh, hard left um, radicals want. They want to pack the court now um, <clears throat> in order to uh, change the court from its conservative leaning to a more liberal leaning. They also want to limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, um, take away some of the powers the Supreme Court now has to uh, decide cases. <clears throat> so here's the irony and what's so interesting for me. I just, as you know, came back from Israel two weeks ago. Don't know whether I got COVID there or on the plane or when I got back here. But shortly after I got back here, I, I got the COVID. But when I was in Israel, I was a major participant in the debate over the Israel Supreme Court. And it's the mirror image of the United States, exactly the opposite. In the United States, it's the radical left that's very dissatisfied with the Supreme Court because they overrule Roe versus Wade and because they're imposing restrictions on voting rights and a range of other issues and guns, etc. So it's the left that wants to weaken the Supreme Court. Um, in fact, there are some leftists who are basically saying the Constitution uh, should be ignored because it's a white supremacist doctrine written by slave owners, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's the kind of nonsense that we're hearing at some major American universities and, and law schools, but <clears throat> that's not getting any traction. But uh, trying to weaken the Supreme Court is now a project of the, of the hard left, and many on the hard left um, are in favor of it. And interesting, it's interesting that in Israel, it's the hard right that wants to limit the Supreme Court, because in Israel, the Supreme Court has become an institution that has promoted human rights and civil liberties and the rights of Palestinians and um, um, the rights of dissidents and, and, and other rights. Um, um, they've demanded equality of all religions and um, equality um, in terms of sexual orientation. And so the uh, extreme right, several of whom are now represented in the new, the new Netanyahu government. And as you know, I met with Bibi Netanyahu and with President Herzog and, and with many, many other Israeli leaders when I was over there. Um, so there's a movement by the right to try to constrain the Supreme Court, to try to have what's called an override, which would really abolish the power of the Supreme Court to um, uh, declare acts of the Knesset uh, unlawful. Remember, one big difference between Israel and the United States, not such a big difference, but it's a, it's a, it's a difference that matters, is that Israel has never been able to get its act together and, and create a written constitution. Um, the United States today could not have a written constitution if it weren't an old one that was passed 
at the beginning of our uh, experiences as a nation. Today, we would never be able to agree on, on, on so many issues that we couldn't get a constitution. Or if we got one, it would be written with vague, broad, open-ended language. But in Israel, they can't get a written constitution. They can't get consensus over separation of church, state, mosque, and, and synagogue. They can't get a um, consensus on um, the rights of Palestinians on the West Bank and in the Gaza. So Israel has to do without a constitution. They have what are called basic laws that are fundamental laws guaranteeing equality and, and due process. And uh, so there's a big debate about whether or not the Supreme Court, in interpreting its unwritten constitution, the way Great Britain interprets Great Britain's unwritten constitution, whether the Supreme Court can have its decisions overridden by a simple majority vote of the Knesset. I am categorically, strongly opposed to that. The Supreme Court of Israel has been a real gem. Uh, it's been uh, a central aspect of Israeli checks and balances and democracy. And uh, it's not broken. And there should be no attempts to try to override Supreme Court um, decisions, particularly when the issue is not an institutional one. People aren't complaining about the institution of the Supreme Court. They're just complaining about the results. Um, people on the right don't like the fact that the Supreme Court of Israel seems to lean, lean leftward, just like people on the left in the United States don't like the fact that the United States Supreme Court today leans rightward. Of course, when I was beginning my career, the Supreme Court was a very much left-leaning institution, Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, when I was 16 years old, of course, um, ended segregated uh, public schools, took a long time for that to really take an effect, but uh, 1954 was very important. And, you know, when I was a law clerk, we got uh, decisions involving the right to counsel, double jeopardy, uh, voting rights, a reapportionment, malapportionment, um, uh, New York Times versus Sullivan, uh, a range of liberal decisions. And so when I was growing up, there were signs all over the South, impeach Earl Warren, impeach Bill Douglas, uh, change the Supreme Court, limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. And, and the lesson, I think, of what we're hearing from Israel, the attempt by the right to limit the Supreme Court, and what we're hearing from the United States, the attempt by the left to limit the Supreme Court, really shows that not very many people care about Supreme Courts as institutions. They just care about results. But that's so typical of what's going on in the world today. People are just not principled. They just care about results. Give me the result I want. Otherwise, I'll abolish the institution. Um, if you don't like uh, the result, uh, blame it on the institution. Of course, Supreme Courts generally have fairly wide pendulum swings. Our Supreme Court has moved from the right to the left, to the center, to the left, to the right. Now it is clearly a rightward-looking institution. There are uh, six what one would call conservative justices appointed by Republicans, and there are three liberal justices appointed by uh, Democrats. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't long ago when the opposite was true, and it may not be long from now, when the opposite is true again. Of course, this Supreme Court um, is, uh, the conservatives on it, are fairly young. I mean, Barrett is very young and Kavanaugh is fairly young. And, and you know, the uh, number of the other justices are, are quite young. Even the chief justice, I think, is only 60 or something thereabout. 
Um, and so the conservative Supreme Court is likely to last through my lifetime and probably the lifetime of many of you who are watching, even if Biden were to get another vacancy. And you never know. I mean, God determines longevity on the Supreme Court. The only justice who's now um, nearing what would be regarded as retirement age, if there were retirement ages for most people, would be Clarence Thomas. Um, the other older justice was a month older than me was my friend Stephen Breyer, uh, who had a very distinguished 25-year uh, career on the Supreme Court and um, is now back uh, teaching at Harvard and, and lecturing and, and doing interesting things. But I don't think that we're going to see a situation where President Biden gets to change the drift of the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump was very fortunate. He got three appointments um, in a relatively you know, short period of of time, one term, three appointments. That's very, very rare. Um, the last few one-term presidents, Jimmy Carter got no appointments. And <clears throat> I don't remember exactly how many um, um, were, were um, Bush appointees, Bush number one, who was a one-term appointment. I think that um, a, one of them was uh, Clarence Thomas, because I remember him looking the American people in the eye and saying that Clarence Thomas was the most qualified lawyer in America to serve on the Supreme Court. And, you know, uh, if anybody took that one seriously, uh, I got a bridge outside my house that goes to Brooklyn that I'll be happy to sell you. Um, there were many, 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 many more qualified people. Um, uh, he's turned out to be an interesting justice uh, for the first years. He didn't say a word. He just was silent. Now he's become more actively involved and um, he and his wife are are interesting characters and and um, um, they are certainly very very controversial but I mean the point I'm trying to make is that the objection to the Supreme Court on neither in Israel and the United States is principled or neutral or institutional or objective it's just we don't like the results and we want results that are more compatible with our own uh, judicial philosophies. It's not even judicial philosophies because very few people have judicial philosophies. We want results that if you favor a woman's right to choose, favors abortion. If you favor uh, the fetus's right to life, uh, we want decisions that favor right to life. If you want um, um, gun control, you know, we'd like a narrow reading of the Second Amendment. There's a fascinating case that just came up this weekend. A guy, probably mentally ill, walks into a big supermarket and is seen in the bathroom by a guard um, with, I don't know, 20 guns, in, including um, automatic weapons, semi-automatic weapons, and <clears throat> is arrested. And they had to drop the charges against him because he didn't do anything illegal. Um, he was wearing armor and he was preparing to do something in the bathroom, but Nobody knows exactly what he was preparing to do. So he was arrested, but then he was he was freed because um, open carry states and most states are now open carry states. Um, you really can't arrest somebody if he walks around with a, a gun as long as it's not done in a threatening way. Now, you know, I can imagine if you're walking around with 20 guns and you're in a bathroom and you're putting on armor, uh, that sounds a little bit more suggestive of the possibility that you're planning something uh, terrible. And there was a case just a couple of years ago where a woman called 
and said, look, there's this guy, he's carrying gun. It's, it's, uh, he looks threatening. And the police said, sorry, we can't do anything about it. And then he went and killed three people. So, you know, you never know which way it's going to turn out. My point is, is this though, uh, Supreme courts are never going to be popular with everybody because at its core, the Supreme court is not a democratic institution. Of course, the United States is not a democracy. It's, it was never intended to be a democracy. It's a republic with a system of separation of powers and checks and balances. And one of the powers that checks other powers is an elitist Supreme Court. And the same thing is true in Israel. The complaint that the uh, left, um, that the right is now making against the Supreme Court in Israel is that it's an elitist institution. Guilty. Yeah, it's supposed to be an elitist institution. Courts are not supposed to be democratic. Courts are supposed to be checks on, on democracy. They're supposed to make sure that fundamental rights are respected, even if the majority wants to take away those fundamental rights. It's a, it's a way of assuring that minority rights are also represented in our system of checks and, and balances. So nobody in Israel should be surprised that the Supreme Court is an elitist institution. Um, there's also concern about how justices get appointed in the Supreme Court of Israel. They're appointed by a commission of nine people, four of whom are politicians, members of Knesset, five of whom are professionals. Uh, I think three of them are former or judges, current or former judges, and two of them are members of the Bar Association. And there's concern that the Supreme Court therefore replicates itself um, by appointing uh, elitists to fill the positions when other elitists uh, resign. But again, that's the nature of what a court should be. So I'm calling for a return to principle. You know, <laughs> I've been calling for a return to principle for a long time. I wrote a book about it called The Price of Principle. Um, I, I'm one of these people who looks at institutions and says, I'm not always happy with the way the Supreme Court decides cases. I'm not happy with the overruling of Roe versus Wade. I'm not happy with an expansive view of uh, gun ownership and possession. I'm not happy with a range of decisions the Supreme Court uh, has rendered recently since it's become much more conservative than my tastes would prefer. But I'm not in favor of changing. I'm not in favor of packing the Supreme Court. I'm not in favor of fundamental reductions in the authority and power of the Supreme Court. Look, you want to make some changes that are reasonable and rational and neutral, neutral and principled. All right. I'm on your side, but I'm not in favor of popularity contests for Supreme Courts or for any other justices. So I'm hoping here you're going to, I'm going to sound like a very conservative guy. I don't want to see any changes either in the Supreme Court of the United States or in the Supreme Court of Israel. I'm neither on the right or the left when it comes to that issue. I'm in favor of the Supreme Court as an institutional check on the excesses of democracy and as a protection for the rights of vulnerable minorities. That's what the Supreme Court was supposed to do. It's done it quite well over the 200-something years of American history and the 75 years of uh, Israel's uh, history. I've known many justices. Um, I've known most of the justices, I think, in the Israeli Supreme Court, and I've certainly known most of the justices uh, on the current uh, Supreme Court, they're human beings. Uh, they don't wear wigs. They don't uh, try to hide their personalities the way they do in England. They're human beings with passions, with ideas. Um, 
they're not supposed to impose their ideas uh, on, on others because they're not democratically elected. They're supposed to apply the law, as um, Chief Justice um, uh, put it uh, in his testimony. When he was uh, being confirmed, he said, I'm like a baseball umpire. I call balls and strikes. Well, not quite, not quite. Uh, he allows uh, his views sometimes to intrude on his uh, decisions. But I think he's been one of the one of the fairest of the justices. And I think he tries very hard to uh, call balls and strikes. But, you know, even baseball umpires who call balls and strikes, some have a wider plate than others. But, you know, that's not the concern. If you have a wider plate for everybody, okay. The concern would be if you had a wide plate for one team and a narrow plate for another. And that's the fear of what could happen if courts, either the Supreme Court of Israel or the Supreme Court of the United States, become too partisan. So far, that hasn't materialized, in my view. They've become um, ideological, but I think they have not become uh, a partisan, as evidenced by the fact that the most recent Supreme Court, mistakenly in my view, but allowed uh, President Trump's tax returns to be turned over to Congress and ultimately uh, revealed to the public. A mistaken decision, I, I believe, but a decision that the Supreme Court made unanimously. And, you know, I, I'm not one who always accepts decisions of the Supreme Court as intellectually correct, even if they're unanimous. So I'm going to continue to criticize both the Supreme Court of Israel and the Supreme Court of the United States, while at the same time supporting them as institutions. So let's turn to some uh, letters now. I mean, I asked uh, whether or not 2022 was a good year or a bad year. Boy, did I get a lot of letters on that. Almost everybody said it was a, a bad year. Um, here's one. It was a bad year for most Americans and Europeans, especially Ukrainians. Obviously, we agree with that. Uh, it was a banner year for major American corporations, especially war machine manufacturers and energy firms. Of course, the voice of American corporations, the Wall Street Journal, ignored the angst of the of the people. I, I don't think so. I think the uh, Wall Street Journal is actually one of the best newspapers in the United States today. Uh, I don't always agree with its editorials, but editorials are allowed to be opinionated. What I do find is that the front page of the Wall Street Journal is far fairer in presenting all the news than the front page of the New York Times and many other newspapers. So, you know, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? I guess it depends on where you sit. <clears throat> Only a complete fool, clown, or very rich person, I don't know which I'm supposed to be, would try to say 2022 was good for America. Anyone with a working brain knows that 2022 was bad for everyone except some rich people. Our country is being destroyed on purpose and by design, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are those who claim that they know who are destroying America. Um, and let me turn to a couple of those because they're, you know, the obvious candidates that you might imagine. Let's see if I can find them quickly. Um, you got to be kidding. 2022 was an assault by the Jew globalists on all white countries worldwide. It's Khazar Satanists right in our faces. Jews are no friend of white Christian people. 
we need to start treating them as such. They are the great deceivers and they worship Baal. Well, I, I can tell you for one Jew, I don't even know who Baal is and I don't, I don't worship Baal and I'm not a globalist. And, um, none of those descriptions uh, fit particularly. Uh, America turned into the USSR, the United States Socialist Republic. Nah, not quite. We're not a socialist country. or We're not even close to a socialist country. Um, I can't think of a single thing that is positive for America in 2022, uh, unless you want to claim that the perverted thief, nuclear waste, soy boy getting fired. I, I have no idea what that means. Um, and then here's another one. You know, you get to, I, I, sometimes I'm hesitant to read them, but the mail is so full of them. Three fifths of the proposed successors to Lenin, himself a Jew, I never heard that before, uh, were Jewish communists. Uh, communism is a Jewish uh, project. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Stalin, who killed uh, many, many, many Jews, killed Jewish intellectuals, um, uh, put Jews in, in camps, and communists. I defended many Jewish dissidents in the Soviet Union. You ask Jews in the Soviet Union whether communism is a, is a Jewish ploy. Only half of all the one half of all contributions to Democratic candidates are from Jewish donors. I don't know whether that's true. Leftism is a Jewish uh, project. Uh, prayer was removed from schools due to a Jewish legal complaint, Engel versus Vitali. I have no idea what the religion was of either Engel or Vitali. Uh, secularism is a Jewish project. Um, the saboteurs of the white man. You know, this is the kind of thing that, that permeates uh, America still. Um, and, and you wonder why after... After so many years, um, this guy thinks the 2020 election was fair. That's the last time I will listen to this guy. That sounds like a pretty good idea. If, uh, if, if you think that the election was stolen, you probably shouldn't listen to me. Um, I think there were some unfairnesses in the election. I've said before that the Pennsylvania vote was unconstitutional in some ways. But even if you counted all the discounted all the votes that shouldn't have been counted, the state would have gone the same way. Okay. And this is something about, about me. I can't figure out which side he's supposed to be on. And I think he can't either. He swings every way, and he can. And he's a bright man, so he knows exactly what he's doing, but he can't fool me. I can see a rat. A very smart one, but I wouldn't follow except with a trap. Yeah, no, that, I take that as a compliment. You don't know what side I'm on because I'm not on anyone's side. I'm not on the Democrat side or the Republican side or the liberal side or the conservative side. I'm on the side of the Constitution. And if you look at all my opinions, you'll see they're all principled, all based on the Constitution, all based on the rule of law, all based on neutral principles. So, of course, you can't tell which side I'm on, because I'm not on a conventional, traditional side of the kind that uh, you probably are. Um, here's another one against the Wall Street Journal. I don't know why they are being picked on so much. The Wall Street Journal is an operative of the deep state. Um, why the, and then curse word, would you ever listen or read them? Dershowitz, the putts. It was stolen, and you are a democratic sleazeball communist. 
your upside is upside down, idiot. Well, I might be some of those things, but I'm surely not a communist. I oppose communism from the time I was a student in college. I was at Brooklyn College, one of the strongest opponents of communism, a remained strong opponent of communism. I spent the 1970s, a lot of it, in the Soviet Union defending dissidents against communism. Um, I defended uh, Andrei Sakharov. I defended Natan Sharansky. I defended uh, many people against communism. Uh, I stood up hard against communism. But, you know, people who think if you're a Jew, you must be a communist. That's a a kind of bigotry that can't be responded to by facts. Can you comment on how the COVID mandates and lockdowns and censorship of alternative opinions on vaccines and treatments affected our status as a free society. You know, it's it's interesting. This is one of the most interesting issues. Um, as you know, I wrote a book called The Case for Vaccine Mandates. I made the argument that if COVID got out of hand and became a pandemic that threatened to kill as many people, for example, as the flu epidemic of 19. 19- 17, and if there was scientific proof that a vaccine could stop the halt of the disease and would not only protect people who took it, but mostly protect other people, that I could imagine myself in favor of it and the Constitution would would support it. Um, I took my four boosters and the original vaccine. I got COVID anyway. Um, I wore masks uh, all the time, and I, I got COVID anyway. That doesn't mean that um, the approach to COVID, which was bipartisan, uh, the Trump administration did a lot of very good things uh, in getting the vaccine uh, rollout. Um, And the Biden administration has done good things, um, increasing accessibility to uh, COVID. So I I don't think that uh, the response to COVID uh, in any way undercut American uh, democracy. I think there are hard issues. Hard issues about what about people who have religious objections to vaccine? By the way, I can't imagine why you would have a religious objection to a vaccine. Point to me anything in the Bible, anything in the Quran. I mean, uh, religious institutions generally say choose life. Pikuach nefesh in the Hebrew, save lives. Um, The Old Testament, the Jewish Bible is filled with um, stories about how people with contagious diseases had to be isolated and put outside the camp so as to avoid contagion. George Washington uh, uh, demanded that every American uh, soldier be vaccinated, uh, inoculated in those days, uh, because he thought that smallpox could uh, defeat the American army uh, more effectively than, um, than, than the British could. And so uh, in the end, um, there were some interesting constitutional questions. Some the courts resolve correctly, some the courts resolve perhaps incorrectly. Uh, it's still a work in progress. We see cases still uh, in front of the courts, including the Supreme Court, involving uh, COVID and uh, COVID and, and closed borders and uh, a range of other issues. But COVID has been a central factor in our life uh, since uh, March of uh, 2020 and probably will continue to be a significant factor. We hear that more COVID is coming from China and that uh, there's more COVID now of a different strain in the Northeast. So we're not we're not through with it yet, and I'm testimony to that. So um, see you tomorrow.